Well, a happy Sunday after Easter. Last week we had a great uh, Easter celebration, and so many of you were here, and so many others were here. And we had a great time of celebrating worship, and we know that usually the Sunday after Easter is a little bit down. But this is also a wonderful day of worship and celebration, and a great opportunity for us to think about the fact that in the afterglow of Easter, what are we going to be doing? And what effect upon our lives will that Easter event when we understand the significance of the entire cross event and the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, what significance will that make to our life? See, I think, I think that we have at least two extreme options. One, we just go on with life as normal. Everything is still routine, dull, boring, and maybe even go back to a sinful lifestyle. That's, the, that's one option, one extreme. The other extreme is that we truly live in the afterglow of the resurrection, realizing that the resurrection of Christ changes everything. It makes a difference in our life. That through the cross event, his death, burial, and resurrection, that our lives are changed and we're no longer the same. We're different. Something has happened. God has worked in our life and we're different people. Uh, we live that full, free, and abundant uh, life that, that Christ has promised to us. And that means then that we live differently out in the culture, out in our society, out in our community. And we make a difference as the people of God. We're moved with compassion. Uh, this week, uh, uh, one of the guys that I like to follow on Twitter uh, and also read his blog and other places is uh, Chuck Lawless. He's a professor at Southeastern. Before that, he was at Southern Seminary. Uh, in fact, um, probably 15 years or so ago, um, he uh, actually came here and led a prayer conference for us. Some of you might remember that. But uh, this week he had uh, uh, some interesting questions out on his blog uh, about um, this week after Easter, what, what are we thinking? What difference has it made in our life? And I like these seven questions that he posed on one of them. I wanted to share them with you for us to think about today, okay? Number one, do you so believe that Jesus is alive that you've chosen to follow him by trusting him and turning from your wrong? See, that, that, if you haven't got that whole message about Christ yet, about his death, burial, and resurrection, the whole cross event. And, and that, that, that changes your life. That that's where you confess your sins, you trust him as Savior, and that you can, you can have a whole new life. You know, have, you, have, you, have you really come to that realization and made that decision where you trust Christ as your Savior and the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life? Number two, does a relationship with God affect your everyday life? Boy, it should. I mean, having a relationship with God is not just a checklist to do for something every day in your life, but it's something that impacts your life, that then impacts your life where you go in your culture, in your society. Number three, question number three. Do you believe that you can turn away from sins that seem to control you? Boy, you, do you really believe that? You know, so many people say, you know, I just have a problem with anger. You need to learn to deal with it. No, you need to learn to deal with that, Right? Or you say, I have, a, I have a problem with this. I have a problem with that. I, you know, these sins, I just can't deal with them. That's just who I am. I can't get over them. You know, you're missing the whole point about being a new person in Christ and the power of the resurrection and what Jesus did on the cross for you. You can turn away from those sins that seem to control you. And, and you need to be living that life. Number four, do you trust that God can restore broken relationships? You see, the whole point about God's sending Jesus to us was to restore the broken relationship we have with him. And we look out in this culture in which we live today, and, and, we, and we should see a lot of brokenness. There's brokenness everywhere around us because of sin. And he can restore broken relationships between us and God and broken relationships between anybody who's willing to come together and let God work in their life. 
You should be willing to believe that and then do something about that. Be moved to compassion to be a reconciliator with that, okay? Number five, uh, have you given up? Hopefully not. You know, some people just go from, from day to day and just say, you know, nothing's changed, nothing's happening, God's not moving in my life, nothing good's going on. No, you know, I just give up. You know, you don't necessarily just die, you don't commit suicide, hopefully not. But uh, you just don't, you know, there's no point of life, there's no point in living, no reason for living. You know, you just give up. Whatever happens, happens. Whatever's going to be, is going to be, and you just give up. Hopefully you haven't given up. Number six, do you tell others about Jesus? Boy, if we really could catch the significance of the resurrection experience like the disciples did, once they believed, once they got over the shock and despair of that empty tomb, and they knew that it was empty because Jesus was alive, and they encountered him, look at what happened in their life. Look what they did to this world. You and I are here because of what they did with the resurrection story. Who else could we have in here if we would share that resurrection story and tell others about Jesus? Number seven, do you fear death? You see, because of what Jesus did on the cross and because he walked out of that tomb, we shouldn't fear death. And no believer should ever fear death. I mean, we might, you know, I I hope I have several more years to live, things I want to do, things in ministry, things personally-wise. But if God decides to call me home before that, I'm not afraid of death because I know what awaits me. So I'm not afraid of death. One of the things that, that Jesus did on the cross was that he destroyed our fear of death because he, he defeated Satan. And so we should not have any kind of fear of death. Now, all those are penetrating questions that lead us to the whole significance of understanding what the cross event and the resurrection should mean and what it should bring into our life. It's all because of what the, the message is that we come to understand. So I want us to look today uh, at this whole concept about being nailed to the cross and what was nailed to the cross. When we think about the cross, I think about the Apostle Paul and how the message of the cross is what drove him in his preaching and his teaching. In fact, he, he said in Corinth, he said, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Somebody once said that the heart of Christianity is the Bible, the heart of the Bible is the cross, and the heart of the cross is the heart of God. When we look at the cross, we see the heart of God sending his son Jesus Christ into the world to die in our place on that cross for our sins. One of the, one of the favorite passages that I have about what happened on the cross, why, why Jesus went to the cross and what took place there and what was nailed there is found in Colossians chapter 2. And I want us to look at verses 11 through 15. Paul writes here and says, In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. Now he's talking about our relationship now with Christ. He's talking about that. We've been buried with him in baptism and raised through your faith and the power of God who raised him from the dead. Now listen to what happened on the cross. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having counseled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us, he took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 
Now, those are some powerful words that describe what was nailed to the cross. And I want us to look at them. I think there are three categories of things that Paul mentions here that we need to understand because they're so significant for our life going forward from this point in light of the resurrection. Number one, all our sin and shame was nailed to the cross. We find that again in verse 13. When you were dead in your sins, that's our spiritual condition apart from God. And in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. You see, we could not live in relationship with God when we were in sin because God's holy and righteous and in sin we're sinful and we're everything that God is not. But God so wanted that relationship with us that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, holy and perfect and righteous in every way to be the only satisfying sacrifice that would please God and satisfy his demand for a just forgiveness of our sins. God just couldn't wipe the slate clean. He had to have a sacrifice that would, that would suit his demands for righteousness and justice. And so that was Jesus Christ. And what happens is when we believe in that and claim that experience, then we're made alive in Christ. You know, before that, we're dead in our sins. That's what the Bible teaches us. We're, we're dead in spiritual, spiritual reality because we're dead in our sins and our trespasses. But when we come to know Christ, we're made alive. There are several places that Paul writes and he talks about that. In Ephesians, he said, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Or, uh, another passage here in Colossians, he talks about the fact that when we come to know Christ and we're a believer, then he says, we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness, which is sin and death, into the kingdom of light, which is the kingdom of God. And that's a radical transformation that takes place in our life. We come from being dead in our sins to being alive in Christ. Now, we look at the crucifixion of Jesus, and we know that the Romans crucified thousands and thousands of people. And oftentimes, most all the time, there would be a, a plaque above their name. And I think the word there was titleless from which we get a name title. Because they would put there something like the person's name and what the crime they were guilty of. Well, you know, Pilate did that. In John's gospel, I think it is, we're told that he put, a, uh, put the sign that said, Jesus, uh, King, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And he did so to get back at the Jews because they wanted and demanded that Jesus be crucified. Pilate couldn't find anything wrong with him except that there were those who claimed that he was a king. And so that's why he put that inscription up there. But notice what the Bible says in John 19. It says, Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. Now, the significance of that is the languages, three different languages. Jesus was literally crucified at the crossroads of the world in three different languages. Aramaic was the spoken form of Hebrew. And it was the spiritual language of the covenant relationship with God. So you had the language of religion. Then Latin was the language of the Roman Empire. It represented power and government and authority and conquest. Something that a king would have, the authority that a king would have. And then Greek was the international language of culture, representing uh, the culture of that day. Philosophy, art, commerce. And so well, maybe we're probably without realizing it, but by the uh, providence of God, Pilate was saying Jesus Christ is king in all of these areas of life, spiritual, government, and intellectual. And again, the only crime he could be accused of was being a king. But there was something else significant that happened on that cross that lets us know that all our sin and shame was nailed to the cross when Jesus died. And you've got to go all the way back hundreds of years to Isaiah 53 where Isaiah talks about the suffering servant who would come and what he would do. And all of that was fulfilled in Jesus. And in Isaiah 53, 6, 
Isaiah says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Get a mental picture in your mind of Jesus on the cross and somehow God transposing all of our sin and putting it on Jesus on the cross. That's what happened. And that's how all of our sin and shame is nailed to the cross. And that literally, that phrase literally means that that God crushed Jesus. Jesus was crushed by the weight of our sin. But in doing so, he took away all of our sin and all of our shame. What a horrible way for the Son of God to die by crucifixion on the cross. But the writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 verse 2 says this about the shame of the cross. He said, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The phrase scorning its shame literally means that Jesus found that sin to be shameful and the cross revolting, but he endured it anyway for our sake. He despised it, but he embraced it. Through his grace, he embraced our disgrace. Our sin and our shame were all nailed to the cross when Jesus was nailed to the cross. It's the only way we can be forgiven and made alive in Christ was for him to die. It's fulfillment of Romans 6, 23 that reminds us the wages of sin is death. That's spiritual death. And that's where we were. We were spiritually dead. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's what God has given to us when he nailed our sin and shame on the cross. He gives us that opportunity to be made alive with him and all of our sin and shame taken away through the gift of Jesus Christ. Now here's the second thing that was nailed to the cross. All the Old Testament regulations were nailed to the cross. That's what we find in verse 14. Paul says, having canceled the written code. That written code refers to the Ten Commandments and all the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament. That's when he talks about with all its regulations. That's an interesting word in it, regulations. That was against us and that stood opposed to us and he took it away nailing it to the cross. He's describing the Old Testament concept about regulations and it's about religion rather than a relationship with God. But he's talking about all those, all those ceremonial observances that we find listed in the Old Testament. You ever find yourself reading through Leviticus and Deuteronomy and you get to all these things about uh, these laws about hygiene and about uh, dietary laws and about religious observances and about sacrifices and all those things? I'll make a confession to you. I don't spend a whole lot of time reading those. And every year reading through the Bible and we get to the Leviticus, it just kind of, I, I feel like I'm just walking through molasses. It just kind of drags me down. And the second thought I have is, boy, I'm glad I'm not a priestly, in, in the priestly function like the priest was back then. Because there's all kinds of things. People had to go show their leprosy to the priest. If they had a ball of some sort and it was oozing and all, they had to go show that to the priest. And, and you know, the priest had to give blessings over that or pronounce healing and all that and tell them what to do to take care. You know, we always joke about the fact when people deal with um, all the ailments and illnesses coming up that we get organ recitals all the time here in ministry in the life of the church. You know, back then the priest really did get those kinds of things. They had to deal with that. But you ever wonder why today we don't have to live by all those codes and go by all those laws for hygiene and diets and all of those kinds of things? It's because when Christ died on the cross, 
He, he fulfilled the gospel. Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to do what? To fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the law. All the ceremonial regulations. Now, we still live by the Ten Commandments because they're a moral law. But at the same time, we had built up a debt because it's through that law that we knew that we were guilty of sinners. Paul said, if I hadn't known the law, I never would have known I was a sinner. We have to understand that. But because of that law, we had built, we had, we, we had built up a sin as debtors to God. We were sin debtors to God. We couldn't live by all these regulations. Thank God that he sent Jesus Christ to die in our place and to fulfill the law and the regulations. And that's why Jesus nailed all those to the cross. When he talks about here uh, the written code and its regulations, he wants us to know that we are free from all those ceremonial laws. And the written code in Roman culture was a handwritten signed note by a debtor acknowledging his debtedness, like an IOU or a, or a loan, a note you take out at the bank. And it meant that, that he was in debt. And that's what we were in our sin. The law piled up our sin debt, and we could not pay it. Nobody could live up to that. We can't live by the law. But the accusing part of the law died when Jesus died on the cross. And the glory of that is what Paul says in Romans 6, 14, that we're not under the law, but we're under grace. Now, notice some interesting phrases. He talks about the, the, they being taken away. And also can be translated wiped away. They didn't, back in that day, they didn't write on paper like we have and pens like we have today. They certainly didn't have laptops and all those things. But they were written on papyrus or, or bulrushes or vellum or made even of skins of animal. And the ink didn't have uh, acid in it like we had today. So it wouldn't eat into whatever it was written on. And so they could just take a wet sponge and wipe it out. And that's what God did with all these ceremonial laws through the death of Jesus who fulfilled all of that. In his amazing mercy, he wiped all of that away. And he wiped away our sin debt with that. He wiped out our debt. And the way he did it was nailing it to the cross. And that was a phrase that the, the, the people of that day would be so familiar with. Because in the Roman culture, when somebody was in debt, they lived under the constant fear that that debt could be called in and their family could be put in jail. They could be put in jail and everything taken away from them. But when they paid off that debt, they would take that note that was canceled and they would nail it above the door of their house so that their friends and neighbors could see it and everybody could celebrate with them. Wouldn't it be great if tomorrow you got a notice from all your creditors, the bank, your student loan, your car loan, all those kinds of things that said everything's been paid off and you're debt free? Wouldn't that be absolutely fantastic? I guess it's kind of like the excitement, Janie, when people go through financial peace and they learn how to manage their money and they pay off the debt, they get out of debt and they use their money to honor and glory God, glorify God in that. But wouldn't that be great? You know? Your house is paid off. Boom. Your student loans, they're all paid off, taken care of. Your cars, ugh, you don't owe anything on your car. They're all taken care of. Any other loan you got out there, everything is taken care of. That's a, that would be a wonderful feeling, wonderful experience. Even better is the fact, you better believe this, even better experience is to know that all your sin debt has been canceled. Jesus took it and nailed it to the cross. Not abolishing the law. We still need the Ten Commandments. That's the moral part of it. But he took away all those ceremonial laws that we could not live by. And, and, and he nailed them to the cross. And now we live under grace. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, the last words he says was teteleste, which means it is finished or it is fulfilled. He said, in me, all the ceremonial laws, all the sacrificial laws find their fulfillment in me. It's finished. It's complete.
it's been nailed to the cross. Now, that should make a difference in the way you live every day. Yeah, we're still going to sin. But First John tells us that we have an advocate with the Father. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? But all of that's been taken to the cross and nailed there, and we can find forgiveness for that. Now, here's the third thing I find nailed to the cross. This is so significant. If you really want to live a victorious life, this is what you need to understand. All of Satan's power was nailed to the cross. We think today, Satan is alive and well on planet earth. Well, he does have some power, but he was dealt a mortal wound on the cross. Listen to what Paul says in verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. You see, Jesus went to the cross to defeat sin, death, and the grave. And also in doing that, he defeated Satan. Satan has been dealt a mortal wound. He's going he's to be around for a while. At the end of the millennium, he'll have one more time to try to rebel against Christ and, and bring along some other people with him before he cast into the fiery furnace. But he's been mortally wounded. And that's what Jesus came to do. 1 John 3, 8 says, The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Hebrews 2.14 says, By his death he might destroy him, that's Satan, who holds the power of death, that is, the devil. Satan and all of his enemy, Satan and the, all of his power, enemies of God, were nailed to the cross. Triumphing over them, Paul says, is the picture he has in mind of a conquering Roman general coming back with his troops leading the way and the defeated, conquered enemies coming behind him. And they're all in shame, in chains, being led to the mockery of the crowd gathered around them. You see, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he was exposed to the elements. He might have even been stripped naked. He was there for public ridicule and people had hurled insults at him. But what Paul says is so interesting is when that was taking place, he was making, Jesus was making a triumph over Satan through the cross. You see, God works in strange ways, doesn't he? But the cross was so powerful for that to take place. Satan thought he had Jesus right where he wanted him. But what was happening was that Jesus was making a public mockery of Satan and disarming him, nailing him to the cross. Now, I'm going to wrap it up by showing you a picture I came across this week called Christ Nailed to the Cross. And I, I, you might want to look this up this week, and you can just Google and do simply Christ Nailed to the Cross by David Garrard, G-E-R-A-R-D. And I think it's one of the most interesting paintings of the crucifixion. Obviously, they got Jesus on the ground and nailed him to the cross. But it's just one of the most interesting, if not strangest, way to say it. You look at that, and you could be captured by a lot of different things. There's a robe lying on the ground. There's two puppies down there playing. You might be captured by the men who are actually nailing Jesus to the cross. Or in the background, there are two young boys looking down on that scene. And it's just interesting to think about all the dynamics going on at that point in time. But the thing that fascinated me is when you can focus on Christ, and you can't see it at this distance. That's why you might want to look it up. 
You focus on Christ and his eyes. It seems like no matter how you might turn that picture or where you might get in relationship to that picture, you can't get away from his eyes. It's just like they're penetrating no matter where you stand. It's like he's saying, look at me. I'm doing this for you. I'm being nailed to the cross for you because I love you so much. I saw that, I was reminded of John 15, 13. And Jesus said, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. So there's Jesus nailed to the cross. And all these things that we talked about, our sin and shame, all those regulations that we couldn't keep, and all the power of Satan were nailed to the cross. So what does it mean for us? How does that fit in with that challenge about how we're going to live following the resurrection? Is life going to go on as usual? Dull, boring, maybe even sinful? Are we going to live that resurrected life, powerful and meaningful and full-fledged for the glory of God? Well, here's what the cross means to us. Because of the cross, you don't have to suffer shame of your sins because Jesus did that for you. So you don't have to be guilty of that anymore. Jesus did that for you. He died in your place. Because of the cross, you don't have to live on the regulations of do's and don'ts. A code you couldn't live up to by law, but you live in God's grace. And that's so freeing when you live in grace rather than under the law. And because of the cross, you don't have to fear the devil nor death because he's a defeated foe. And death has been defeated and Satan has been defeated. And it's all because Jesus was nailed to the cross. You see, that ought to make a difference then in our life. If we fully embrace this Jesus who died on the cross and by doing so defeated sin, death, and the grave. It it means as we claim forgiveness, we can really live being alive in the gospel for the glory of God. It means that we can live free from any guilt and shame of the past. And it means that we can live victoriously over Satan and anything that he might put in our way. Scripture teaches us that if we resist the devil, he will flee from us. That's because he's been defeated. But you still have to fight that battle. And you can do it in the power of the risen Christ. And you see, and if we lived like that, if we understood that, and that really was reflected in our lifestyle, don't you think that would make a difference in how we lived in our culture? And that would make a difference in this community? That's why we're here. That's why we're here as the church. That's why we're here with the message of the resurrection and the power of Jesus Christ. We're here to make a difference with the gospel for the glory of God. It's in how we live that we'll make that difference. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for for the cross experience and the significance of that in our life. Uh, We thank you, Father, for not only the cross experience, but the, the entire part of that cross event with the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ. And on this week after we've celebrated the resurrection, I pray that we'll take seriously understanding all that took place on the cross and what that means for us in our life and that we your people will live for your glory as people of the resurrection and that as being alive out of our out of our dead condition of being dead in our sins that we'll be alive for your glory through your grace and through your power to make a difference in our lives and in the lives of those we come in contact Father, may we, may we do that to your glory, through your power, and through your grace. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.